My name is Jonathan Nato, and I'm a blind guy. Hey, everybody. My name is Hamad Zaidi, and I have a physical disability. And this is Limping on Cloud Nine. Yes, it is, Jonathan. In our last episode, which was part one of the September 11th episode, as you know, we discussed our experiences with 9-11. Yeah. But what I'd like to do today is move into a project I did on the one-year anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. Which, which still to this day is one of my favorite projects I've ever had the pleasure and opportunity to do. That's cool. That's really cool. Mainly because it was a crazy-ass story on how it got there. <laughs> right? On how I got there and how it happened, it was nuts. Right? Well, you know, I mean, one, I, I'm, I'm imagining you'll mention this, but one ironic thing about the whole situation is, you know, a Pakistani is the one who created this, you know, this memory 9-11 PSA, you know, thing. Uh, yeah, I am going to mention that. That's actually kind of funny on many levels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. You know, so let's start with the fact that in February of 2002 is when a dear friend of mine, Frank Chindamo, who's a filmmaker in his own right. So he called me and said, hey, man, do you want to go to Guatemala? So Frank is the reason that me and Steve went to Guatemala. Okay. Right. Yeah. And for those of you who haven't followed this podcast since the early days, which is just January 2nd of this year, <laughs> one of our earlier podcasts, I think it was number 18, was uh, my trip to Guatemala and how that changed me. Yeah, yeah. So while we were in Guatemala, we were there to chronicle a young American boy, and I'll leave his name out because he was pretty young back then. He he had lost a family member in 9-11. Mm. And they were sending him on a mission to help these other kids, which is why we were chronicling the mission. Okay. We actually, Steve and I actually became part of the mission in the sense that there were times that we just put the camera down and just joined in. Yeah, yeah. It was so cool, right? So amazing. So... Anyway, I get back from Guatemala. I turn in the footage to the airline ambassadors, which was the nonprofit that hired us to go. Yeah. Right? And about three to four weeks later, I get a call. This is my life, man. I get these random calls every now and then. Yeah. Right? I get a call and they go, hey, man, how would you like to go to the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.? And go to Lynn Cheney's luncheon. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know, man. I didn't vote for Bush and Cheney. So I don't know if I want to go to the luncheon. And they're like, okay, you know that kid that you chronicled? He is going to be at the luncheon, and they would like to meet the director that chronicled him. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm like, all right, I'll go. So I go. It's amazing. I sit at the same table with the kid, and next to the kid is this young woman named Melissa who heads this foundation, and her foundation, uh, it was called Champions of Hope. Okay. Her foundation wanted to make a 9-11 spot for the one-year anniversary of 9-11. Okay. And she goes, since you've already worked with the kid, can can you direct it for me? And I'm like, done. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I go, I go, tell me about it. And she goes, well, 
is being paid for by both Verizon and Disney. Oh, wow. Right? And it's going to be in over 5,000 theaters. Uh, it's going to be on every screen that Regal Cinemas own. Right? Man. And so I'm like, okay. Knowing that no motion picture has ever been released on 5,000 theaters. Yeah. Like, I think even the latest Star Wars was right under five. I could be wrong. They may have broken the 5,000 mark by now. But most big releases are around 4,500, 4,200 screens. Okay. So especially 16 years ago. Yeah. Or 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah, exactly. It, it was the biggest release in America. That's cool. Right? So I'm like, Absolutely. And then they go, what do you need? And I said, all I need is at least 30 to 45 days because they wanted this shot on 35 millimeter. What I mean is I couldn't just shoot it on digital film. They wanted it shot on on actual film. Right. Right. Which has to go to a lab to get processed. It's a different set of eyes and editors that, that do it because it's a totally different process. Yeah. So they also wanted original music meaning they wanted me to hire a composer to do it, the whole thing. Okay. So I said, look, I need 30 to 45 days to do this. And they go, no problem. So they didn't hire me. They just said, we'll get back to you. And the luncheon was in March, maybe early April. So here's what happens. Every two weeks, I I call them. And I email them. And I say, have you made a decision yet? I still want to do it. I still want to do it. They never get, but they get back to me, but they say we haven't decided yet. Finally, by mid-June, I just give up because I'm like, obviously, they hired somebody else. They're not even getting back to me, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Flash forward, and I'm not kidding about this at all. <laughs> Flash forward to July 31st, 2002. Man. Okay. I, so- I We're get close a call. To September for hey, Hamad. Hey, Hamad. How you doing? I'm like, hey, this sounds from you. Sound familiar? She goes, yeah, it's Melissa. I'm like, hey, Melissa, what's going on? And she goes, you're hired. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm hired? And she goes, the 9/11 spot. You're hired. And I'm like, okay, when do you need it? And she goes, in seven days. What? I'm serious. I'm not kidding. And I'm like. There's no way they can get done in seven days. There's no way. And I turned her down. I said, no, thank you. And then a couple hours later, she called me back. And she's like, Hamad, come on, come on, come on, come on. You wanted to do it since we met. It's your opportunity now. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I can do it. It's going to suck. And I don't like doing things that are rushed. Yeah. Because they suck. Yeah. Always. Right? Yeah. And she's like, okay, this is your last chance. So I'm like, give me 30 minutes. So I called Steve, the guy that went to Guatemala with me. Okay. And I called Edward, my dear friend, Edward Stencel, who also produced it with me. Steve did as well. So I called them and I said, what do you guys think? And they're like, dude, are you crazy? You've got to do it. I mean, it's a 9-11 spot, right? Yeah. It's paid for by Disney and Verizon. It's, it's big. You've got to do it. So then I called her back, and I am begrudgingly said, all right, I want to do it. Do you have a script? Oh, no, no, you're going to write it. Oh, man. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then if I'm writing it, you're going to let me direct it, right? 
And she goes, yeah, you can direct it. And I said, okay, I'll produce it, and I'll bring on a couple other guys to help me produce since it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I'm telling you, man, this was the wildest production experience I've ever had, Jonathan. It was crazy. Before we get into this, let me tell you what I did. The location changed three times in 30 minutes. First, she said we were shooting it in New York. Then she said we were shooting it in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. Ultimately, she said we are shooting it in Elmer, New Jersey, which is where we did shoot it. Okay, okay. So the second we say go, I start calling every production guy I know. Do you want it, men and women? Do you want to do a 9-11 spot? Yes, we do. Can you get on a plane in the next six hours, right? Yes, we can. And as we're trying to get all the Southwest Airlines um, flights, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I say Southwest because they allow you to change. Oh, okay. As, all right. as we were trying to get all the flights, the location kept changing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So here's what we had to do to pull this baby off. Think about this. Just think about this. This is a project that needs 30 to 45 days, and we had seven. Right. Not seven to shoot it. Let me just clarify. Seven to shoot it. For the final product. The final product. Yeah, yeah. Seven to shoot it and edit it. So here's what was going on. I had recently been a professor in Nashville, which we have talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. So what I did is I got on the horn. I still have dear friends there today. So I got on the horn and I called a post-production studio in Nashville. Yeah. Spoke to the owner, told him what I was doing. And, I mean, I got to tell you, I got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I think it was called the Filmmaker's House, and if I have that wrong, I'm going to really hate myself. But it was, uh, it was something along those lines, right? Yeah. And the owner's like, you're doing this for 9-11? I said, yes, I am. And he goes, Hamad, we would be honored to have you edit your thing here, right? Yeah. I will give you keys to my place. You will have 24-hour access to my place. Man. Right? And I'm not going to charge you. This is a freebie because it's a 9-11 thing. Man. So then I found a composer, Brandon, out of Los Angeles. And Brandon went on to be the composer for um, the Star Trek TV series. No kidding. Yeah, Yeah. That's cool. So... I had a composer in L.A. Just think about this. Composer in L.A., editing in Nashville, shooting it in New Jersey, all at the same time. <laughs> Just going nuts, right? So I needed a, uh, a cinematographer. I contacted a dear friend of mine, Neil Lisk, who, whom I'd met in Nashville. And I can't even make this stuff up. Neil moved to New York City on September 11th, like Man. on the actual day that 9-11 wow. happened. Wow. So I called Neil. He was going to go, right? Here's what I was told. We have film permits. You'll have no issues to shoot. So any questions so far? No, no. I mean, I can I can say, like, this is all just winding up to be insane. It is. Oh, and there's not other insane parts. 
the second the word got out that Melissa had hired me, and I love her to death. I think she's great. She, uh, it was great working with her. She's wonderful. The second Melissa hired me, I get a call from this guy whom I'd met, I believe, at the National Press Club with her. Okay. And he's like, if at the National Press Club, let me back up a little bit. Sure, at sure. the National Press Club, this guy called me, this guy met me, and he goes, I can get you that gig. And he goes, can I be a producer if I can get you that gig? And I'm like, I'm like dude, if you can get me the gig, then definitely we'll, we'll work something out. So after she hired me, he called me and said, well, I'm your producer because I got you that gig. Well, I called her, and she's like, no, he had nothing to do with it. He had zero to do with it. He didn't even contact me. So there was this big argument I had to have with this random guy in D.C. that was trying to take half the producing money. That's because he was sitting at the table. Right. And I won't say I won't say his name, but it's crazy, isn't it? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, especially you got Verizon and Disney, you know, throwing money at this to get it done. I mean, everyone's got their hand in the in the in the cookie jar, you know. Exactly, and there's certain parts of this story that I'm obligated not to share. <laughs> <laughs> because just because. Yeah. Just because, but. Because you're dealing with the government in the White House and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So the word gets out to the White House that we're doing this. So, you know, when the White House calls, and I'm just being honest, I didn't get the call. Not me. It didn't come to me. But when the White House called the organization, they basically said, we want to endorse it. Yeah. We want our name on it. Right. And so when the White House wanted their name on it, so did Disney and so did Verizon yeah. and, and so did Regal Cinemas. Yeah. And all this is coming my way is I'm trying to get this thing made for them. Man. And and I emailed the people in charge and I said, look, PSAs are 60 seconds long. They don't have credits. They're not a movie. It's just a public service announcement. They don't have credits. Right? Yeah. Everyone's like, we don't care. We don't care. You're putting our name on it. <laughs> okay. So then what I did is I told Melissa and everyone else, I'm like, well, heck, if the White House, White House meaning George Bush Sr.'s Points of Light Foundation, yeah, they wanted to endorse it, yeah. and they did, and we thanked them for that because that helped a lot with the legitimacy. Yeah. Right? So we had the White House involved. We had Disney, Verizon, and Regal Cinemas. So I'm like, well, heck, I want my damn name on it, too. <laughs> right? So if you, if you ever see the credits, it says sponsored by Points of Light Foundation, George Bush, you know, Disney, Verizon, Regal Cinemas. And then at the bottom, it says Hamad Zaidi, Lonely Seal Pictures. Nice. And this happened before Lonely Seal releasing. Yeah. Was a company. Yeah. Right. So. Moving on to another fascinating element that was going on. We were going to do a, we were going to get the winner of American Idol. Oh, man. The national anthem at 9-11, on 9-11 at, at the uh, Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, that was probably Kelly Clarkson, right? Well, it's Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, yeah. And part of the story is I got to meet Kelly. That's cool. Now, I don't... I don't pretend to know her. She doesn't remember me. Maybe she, I doubt it, but I'm kind of hard to miss because of my disability. <laughs> so maybe, maybe she does remember me. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I will tell you this, just to put a little bit of intrigue into the story. The White House needed Kelly's name cleared, you know, in late June, early July. Okay. And the winner of, uh, of American Idol didn't happen until September 4th. Oh, hmm. hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> Keep, that. Keep that in the back of your mind. Hmm. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> now, again, I spent maybe an hour with Kelly Clarkson just hanging out. Yeah. We hung out uh, before she sang. Actually, we hung out two, three days before 9-11. Um, not every day, but it was two days before. Yeah. And all I remember, and this is back in 2002, right? Yeah. At the time, and I'm sure she's different now, but at the time, you know what I remember about her the most? Mm. Incredibly nice human being, mm. one. Mm. Number two, she said cool beans a lot. A lot. <laughs> Everything, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. That was on 9-11, but getting back to how this PSA got made, can we go back to that? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you know, you're recording in Jersey, editing's going on in Nashville, music being made in L.A., yeah, everything, you know, people want names on stuff, everything's going insane. Yeah, and we have political types in D.C. wanting to, you know, bring, uh, wanting to be producer. And I also got flooded by three or four musicians that wanted their songs in it. And I said, not big musicians, because I would have listened to that. <laughs> but but these these nice guys that were new musicians that said, can we play a song for you? And I kept saying, look, dude, we're getting original music composed, but thank you very much. So I'll tell you what happened there. But let me get to this. This was the summer that a bunch of children were being abducted across America. Oh, man, I vaguely remember that. Remember that? Yeah. So here's what happens. I'm not the tallest guy in the world. So we're there with, you know, Neil Lisk, who's like 6'3", and Steve, who's, you know, 6'3", 6'4", and me. And we're driving around in a rental car. We're driving around Elmer, New Jersey, trying to find a place to shoot this. Yeah. Because when we got there, we realized that, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. We get to Elmer, and we realize... They don't have permits. I was just about to say that. There's no permits. There's no permits. No permits. There's no permits. There's no location. There's one location that they graciously got for us, but it was a location of an 80 or 85-year-old aunt of somebody. And when we went to the aunt's house, and I'm not making this up, all of her furniture was covered in plastic. Oh, man. No, like, like an elderly person's home. Yeah. And I, and I talked to the powers that be, and I said, we can't shoot here. And they're like, why not, Ahmad? And I said, because this is supposed to be a 10-year-old boy's home. There's, there's no toys. There's plastic on the furniture. You can't do it. It's not believable. John, you have five kids, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's house, toys everywhere. Have, right. There's toys in my right. room, and I'm not a kid. <laughs> right. And I have two daughters, and... and a home with children does not look like a home without children. Right, right. So then I said, can we just politely tell your aunt we graciously thank her for granting us her home, but we can't shoot there. And they're like, okay, you're putting the onus on yourself. you got to find another place to shoot. Me and the DP and the other producers 
we're walking around, driving around, looking for locations. All right? Oh, please don't tell me you, like, approach some kid and ask him something. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's even worse. And you're, it's okay to laugh because, you know, I laugh myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of us scouting locations, this old Chevy Chevelle races up. And this lady gets out of it, this old lady with curly hair. And she's like, to the other guy, she goes, what are you guys doing with that kid? Right? Oh, man. Like, Excuse me? What are you guys doing with that kid? And I'm like, lady, I'm not a kid. I'm in my 30s. I'm just short, right? <laughs> we told her, I swear, man. We told her we were doing a 9-11 spot. She didn't believe me, probably because of the color of my skin. Right. So she yelled at those guys. We tried to tell her. You know, I said, lady, I am in my 30s. I can show you my license. I'm not 10. And she drove off, Jonathan. And I, we all chuckled as we were looking for places to shoot this thing. And what I mean by places is we needed more than just a house. We needed a few outdoor shots. Yeah. Shots. You need, like, right. you need a playground, of, playground, swings, something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A sunset, right? Yeah. And as we were doing that, what happens next? Now the cops pull up. Now the sheriff pulls up. <laughs> oh, man. Blazing, blazing, rips out of his car. Stop, stand right there. What are you doing? And I told him we were shooting a 9-11 spot. I told him who had hired us. He's like, there's no permits on file. I'm like, okay, but look, officer, sheriff. I remember calling him officer. Yeah. And like, I'm the sheriff. And I said, okay, sheriff, listen, I'm from Los Angeles. Here's my license. You can look me up. Do whatever you need to do. I got hired to do a 9-11 spot. That's why I'm here. It's going to be in 5,000 theaters all over America. This is who hired me. This is their phone number. You can call them. I'm sorry there's no permits. I'm just the guy that got hired. All I'm here to do is to make it happen. And then I did the one thing that every independent filmmaker knows how to do. What did I do? Talk to me and let you film. Yeah, I said, how many deputies do you, get? do you have, Sheriff? And he's like, I don't know, six, seven, why? And I said, I'll tell you what, we're going to have amazing catering on set tomorrow. All of your deputies and yourself and your family are welcome to come on set. Mike, <laughs> my guest, be on set, watch the shoot, have however much food and drink you want. And at that point, the guy switched. Nice. He's like, I'm game. He goes, you need anything from me? And I said, well, we need a location. And here's what's funny, man. The day I got into UCLA, not the day that I graduated, but the day they let me in, I bawled my eyes out all the way home. But before I came home, I went to the campus store and bought a UCLA T-shirt. Yeah. I still have today. Nice. It's my lucky shirt. And whenever I shoot something, it's the shirt that I wear on the first day. Always. So everyone's freaking out. The crew is, I mean, they're happy they're getting paid, but we still don't know where we're shooting. The local fire department gave us a fire truck that we could film at, which was really gracious. 
we, we, we found a couple other places to do a couple of outdoor shots, but we still needed a house. So I told the sheriff, I go, well, I don't have a house yet. And he goes, well, call me bright and early tomorrow morning. I'll pick you up. Where are you staying? And I told him. Next morning, I'm in my UCLA T-shirt. This is the morning of the shoot. Sheriff shows up. He, that guy, nicest guy in the world, Jonathan, he took me door to door to ask people if we could shoot in their home. Wow. And me being abundantly honest, when they go, what does that mean? I said, no, look, dude, it's not the most comfortable thing. Okay. We're going to have a full film crew in your house. We can pay you a little bit, and I guarantee we'll clean everything up. But, but we're, we're going to have lights and cameras and the whole setup. Everyone said no because they didn't want to be inconvenienced. Right, right, right. And most of them didn't actually believe what we were doing because of, again, probably what I look like. Right. <laughs> so here's what wound up happening. This is why I love UCLA so much. We knock on the door of this other house, this young woman, she's probably in her late 20s, uh, mid to late 20s, and her husband answer the door. And we give them the whole pitch, 9-11, it's going to come out. It doesn't come out on 9-11, it comes out on Labor Day weekend, the Friday before Labor Day of that year. Yeah, yeah. She listens to my whole pitch, she looks at her husband, he looks at her, she looks at him, he looks at her. So she looks at me and she goes, did you go to UCLA? And I'm like, I did. And she goes, well, I know you have the shirt on, but can you prove it? And I'm like, I can. I still wear the class ring, which actually I still have on today. Nice. I have on right now. So I showed her my UCLA class ring. This is 1994. And smiled. She looked directly at me and she goes, I'm a Bruin. I'm like, are you really? She goes, I graduated UCLA and moved back to Elmer because I'm from here. Any Bruin can have the use of my home. Nice. <laughs> we got this house, man. And we started filming. While we were filming, the guy from D.C. showed up in a stretch limousine mm. with three or four rap artists. Yeah. And he had told all of them that he was producing it. Oh, man. So he came over to me and he goes, I'm, gonna, I'm telling you guys I'm a producer on this because he's trying to get some deal with him. And I just looked at him and said, dude, I don't really care what you do, man. I'm busy making this. I don't have time to deal with it. You know, I think he had me go over and say hi to them. I graciously shook their hands and said, hope to listen to your music soon. Have a great day. Have some food. Enjoy your time. Yeah. There's no time to really argue, right? I just had to get the thing done. Right. Right. So that was going on. Then the two or three people that um, wanted their music in it, two of them showed up on set and <laughs> set, up their, set up their acoustic guitars and started singing. Man. <laughs> you know, and I had security on set, right? Yeah. So I told security, don't, don't get them in trouble. Don't arrest them. They're nice guys. Just kind of let them do their songs, but don't let them interfere with what we're doing. So it was like this circus that went on. Right, you got these rap guys over here. You got acoustic guitar singing guys over here. Then we've got the amazing composer who did the music for us. 
he accidentally FedExed his composition to my address in Los Angeles. Oh, man. And not to Tennessee where we were editing. Yeah. We had to do just amazing, crazy stuff. You know what we had to do? And I'll actually admit this because I think it's insane. You can actually hire FedEx to do same-day delivery. Mm. Can you know they they charge you like a thousand bucks, but but you can do it because they actually put somebody on a plane. No cannon. To, to get it to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't do it without music, so we had to do all these crazy ass things, and that was just the first part of it. Now, what this moves into the other cool thing is I had a friend of mine that I knew from Kansas. His name is Jerry Peterson. We'd always wanted to work on something together. So I remember when we got this thing financed, I said, Jerry, this is only a two, three-day gig, but let's go. Go with me. So went. he was part of the crew in New Jersey. And it was really cool working with a friend that I'd always promised I'd work with. Okay, so flash forward now. I know it's all over the place, but you can kind of follow what's oh, going yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, totally, right? totally. So flash forward now to I go directly to... Nashville. And I got to give all the credit to uh, Scott Simmons, my editor, Steve uh, Nelson, who was one of my producers that helped overseeing the editing. Those guys were splitting 12 hour shifts. We didn't sleep. No, yeah, you didn't have time. Time, you know, and I'd stay awake for 16, 17 hours a day, and then I would just pass out. But I wouldn't go home and pass out. I'd pass out on the floor with a pillow next to the edit- editing machine. Yeah. Right? That's how crazy this is. Because we knew that if, if Regal Cinemas didn't get the master in time, they could not duplicate the films in time. Right. To right. Get out to the theaters in time. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And it was all like... On me, and all I knew is if this goes south, I'm getting so effing blamed, right? Totally, totally. I'm the one getting blamed, and and I actually I also found out later, way later, that they did hire somebody else. That's why it took them so long to get back to me. Aha! Uh-huh. Hired somebody else and didn't like what he came up with, so they so they hired me last minute. Man. After the editing process is done, we push it as hard as we can to get it, you know, there. And on the Friday before Labor Day weekend, it premieres. Awesome. 5,001 theatrical screens across America, as well as every single major network. Wow. Every network. So kind of put that feather in my cap of like check mark directed a release, directed it, wrote it, produced it. Yeah, yeah. You know, did the biggest release in the United States. Too bad it was only a 60-second release, but it was at least a 9-11 thing that I was super proud of doing. Yeah, definitely. Right. So that was one of the greatest weekends I've ever had because that came out. And the same weekend, a screenplay that I had written won an award at a screenwriting festival so while I was in Colorado getting an award for my writing, luckily, um, and I'm not the only one that won. They had more than one winner, right? Yeah. But I was getting that award, 
my spot was all over the country. That's cool. Right. Like, this is awesome. So right after it, Melissa calls me and says, hey, uh, why don't you come to the um, Lincoln Memorial on 9-11 for the actual party? Because it's the one-year anniversary of 9-11. So to wrap up, I go to the party. Kelly Clarkson sings the national anthem. Just Google September 11, 2002 on the one-year anniversary. Yeah. Kelly Clarkson national anthem, and it'll come up, right? What I got from the White House, and I did not go to the White House. I wish I would have. But what I got from the White House that I still have today. That's cool. Apparently, President Bush loves peanut M&Ms, and I love peanut M&Ms. Yeah. I got a presidential pack of peanut M&Ms. That's cool. And it's a white package of peanut M&Ms with a presidential seal on both sides of the package. <laughs> That's really cool. I never opened. I never ate them. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to. You know, you don't want to open that. That's cool. And then on the side it says, "This package of M and M's was packaged specifically for the president of the United States of America." Isn't that cool? That is really cool. (laughs) So, I go to the party, and two people that work with President Bush came up to me, and they said, "Hey, the president would just like to thank you." He's not here, but he'd like to thank you for doing this spot. And, of course, I said, well, absolutely. I'm honored. It's, and it wasn't just me. It took a big crew to get it together. A lot of companies to waive their fees to make it happen within the budget that we had. And, you know, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of stress. But it wasn't just me. It was a big crew that, that did us, right? Yeah. And a big organization, thanks to Melissa, right? Yeah. And they go, that's great, that's great. But is there anything you'd like to tell the president? Right? And I don't want to get into a political thing, but I did not vote for that president. But I didn't want to say anything mean either because he's the president. Right, right. Right. So what I did is I said, yes, one thing. Could you please tell President Bush that I am so honored, deeply touched, and thrilled that he endorsed a Pakistani-born director to do a 9-11 spot. <laughs> when I said that, one of them looks at me and he goes, you're not Spanish? Oh, man. <laughs> and I just chuckled and I'm like, do you think Hamad Zaidi's a Spanish name? Come on. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? It is. That's hilarious. <laughs> so... To wrap up, I'll say this. Neil Lisk, my director of photography, yeah. years later, just dropped dead. I, while you he, know what? I was well, gonna, you, you mentioned that on another episode, and, I was, and that name was familiar. And I was going to say, is that the same Neil Lisk that passed away? Yes. He's also the same Neil Lisk for people that listen to our podcast. And Jonathan, you listen the most. You're, <laughs> you're very, very careful as to remember what we talk about. Nihilisk was the DP that shot the scene that I directed with Olympia Dukakis. Ah, yes. Okay, okay. That's, that's why I'm... Okay, yep. Okay? Yeah. So, same guy. Okay. Same guy. So, Neil just dropped dead in his garden. Man. Um, years later. But here's what's even... I mean, that's deeply sad, and I miss him every day because he was 
my favorite DP I've ever worked with. He's incredible. But you know what else happened? No. Uh, a week later, a week after 9-11, like mid-September, maybe September 19th or 20th. Yeah. And this is, this could be a different podcast on its own, but I'll just give a very brief overview. Yeah. My friend Jerry calls me. You know, the guy that yeah. I wanted from Kansas that I yep. wanted to work with? He calls me, and you know what he says? No. Imagine this. He calls me, and he goes, hey, Ahmad, how you doing? I go, Jerry, man, it was so much fun doing the 9-11 thing with you, man, because we had done it three weeks earlier, Yeah. right? I go, it's so much fun doing it with you, buddy. How you doing? And he goes, Ahmad, I'm dying. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, I'm dying, and I won't say what he had, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He was incredibly sick, and he never told anybody. Wow. And that was the last thing he ever worked on. No kidding. So what happened is, and I, I don't mean to gloss over it, because I do think we should maybe talk about it in depth on another one. Yeah. But he had one leg amputated on one day, one leg, one leg amputated on the next day, and two days later, he was dead. Man, that's crazy. But it's it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. And... Yeah. And like you and I have always believed, the universe works in very interesting ways. Yeah. Right? And I totally believe that there's a reason he got, he got to do one last production yeah, exactly. before he died. Yep, exactly. And it was the one that he was incredibly proud of because he was a deeply American, you know, God bless America, loved America. Yeah, yeah. Right? And the last thing he got to do is a 9-11 spot endorsed by the White House. Man, that's crazy. Kind of wild, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So everybody out there has their own 9-11 story. Everybody out there, you know, has a valid story. Mine's no better than anyone else's. I'm just sharing what I went through. But I'll tell you, it's one of those things that still to this day, if I ever get as so lucky as to win an Emmy or an Oscar or anything like that in the future, which is Trust me, highly, highly doubtful. <laughs> but if I ever do, let me just say, man, doing the 9-11 spot on the one-year anniversary of 9-11 and having it help whoever it helped, man, it's, it's what I'm super proud of. Yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. You know, the one last thing that I totally spaced on sharing, but, but I'll slide in real quick. That spot that Melissa helped, that Melissa hired me to do. Yeah. And I'm only taking credit for the actual spot. The entire campaign was all Melissa's. Okay. Just want to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. The movement, the campaign, everything was all her. I just came in, came up with the idea for her PSA and made it for her. Yeah. So we utilized my spot to... Or to inspire children to do community service. Mm. Check this out. This is what I'll end on. Think about this. Our spot got somewhere between 650,000 and 1 million children doing community service across the United States. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? It is. That's amazing. It was the largest movement um, that I only had a tiny part in. It's really Melissa's doing. Yeah. But but it was the largest movement of, of youth that, that America amazing. had seen. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? It is. 
So that, my friend, is what I wanted to talk about today. And for everyone um, hearing this, thank you for your time. And trust me, I've been telling Jonathan about this one since we started. Yeah, no, we, definitely. We, we wanted to hold it back yeah. until September 11th. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, so you guys can, uh, you know, download uh, download the episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. Don't forget, there's also 59 Seconds of Cloud9, also on Limping on Cloud9 and on iTunes and Google Play. And, uh, you know, don't forget, check out toysaccessible.com. You know what's going on there. So if you have any children or nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever, look in the, in the, in the, uh, that have special needs and they're looking for toys to play with, check out toysaccessible.com. Yes, and, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't taken the time to review it, if you like us, we'd love a five-star yeah, review on, on, on either Stitcher Radio or iTunes. And for some unexplained reason, man, we're getting a lot of listeners directly on the website, which I love. Yeah, yeah. Right? Which is great. So for those of you that come to our website, that's probably the best place to see this stuff because we always attach a couple of videos. Yeah, and, di- and different images and stuff too. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at info at limpingoncloud9.com info at limpingoncloud9, the number 9.com. And everyone, thank you for listening and for downloading. We'll talk to you next episode. See ya.